0: You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. Mexico entered the pandemic already in a recession. Economic pressures from COVID-19, like severe drops in travel and tourism, have only exacerbated the problem. However, our new global reality has also created opportunities for growth in Mexico. Francisco Suarez, a director in global research at Scotiabank, joins me on this episode to discuss pain points and bright spots in the Mexican economy. Hi, Francisco. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. My pleasure, Greg. Mexico has a large portion of its economy based around travel and tourism. Uh, how has the sector been affected, uh, both from a domestic and international perspective?
1: Uh, what we see is that, for starters, uh, it's going to be very hard for people to fly abroad, and not only because the Mexican currency has actually fall, fallen quite dramatically, but also because uh, at at the end of the day, when you are able to to have safe routes between regions or countries, you have to make sure that those countries can actually have the pandemic under control. So, for instance, now Europe um, it bans and Mexico, Brazil, and the United States for international travel. You have to be quarantined if you are, if you are travel over there, and and as well uh, if for some reason. Uh, let's say cons- consumers in the in the US or Canada wants to travel to the to the to the, the, the wonderful beaches that we have here in Mexico, perhaps they might be having second thoughts about not only about how the pandemic is uh, handled uh, here in Mexico, but also about the uh, health system that operates here in Mexico. Perhaps they may be more comfortable to travel uh, in their own country rather than to to travel abroad. So yes. Unfortunately, that hits a lot, uh, tourism in Mexico. and So in that sense, we expect that domestic uh, travelers will be actually leading the recovery in Mexico rather than, than, than international travelers coming to Mexico.
0: How, how are these shifts sort of financially affecting or how do you anticipate them to financially affect the uh, infrastructure operators?
1: Great question. Um, we we cover two types of infrastructure operators. Uh, the first group, the, the hardest hit, w- relates with the airport operators in Mexico. Uh, we see three different networks here in Mexico. Uh, one anchored by 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 the Cancun Airport in the in the southeast of Mexico. So that's basically tourism. But other networks relate more with business travel. And, and actually it can actually do a little bit better off compared to that type of uh, network. But if you see the difference between a toll road operator and a, a Mexican airport operator, the fact is that once that mobility restrictions from the pandemic are lifted, you start that mobility actually flows into the toll roads, so so these type of operators can recover faster compared to what we see on on Mexican airport operators in general. So I think that we have seen, for instance, in the past quarter, um, a 90% reduction in passenger traffic. I mean, in Mexico, we haven't made any restrictions for traveling like in other countries like uh, colombia for instance or in the in the caribbean as well but uh, nevertheless consumers and businesses alike choose not to travel and uh, so in, imagine it is um, a, a huge blow to overall uh, revenues as such nevertheless they they, <laughs> they were able to 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 do a a, a small pro- operating profit in in terms of EBITDA, which is actually quite remarkable, considering that you lost 90% of your volumes. Uh, toll roads uh, are are actually not doing that bad. They they actually lost around 40% of their volumes. And of course, they are seeing much more uh, better uh, profits compared to Mexican airport operators.
0: In these concession agreements, uh, are there backstops that are provided to the operators with respect to some kind of revenue protection?
1: Great question, Greg. Thank you. Uh, Basically, um, the overall regulation is very straightforward. It has been very business friendly, in my view, over the past 20 years, and it hasn't changed. Uh, What happens is that ultimately, if you are losing a lot of your passenger traffic, Uh, all the Mexican airport operators are able to amend their concessions in a way that they can actually cut their overall capital expenditures and also they can also increase their tariffs that they charge to to the passengers, for instance. And with that, the overall profitability can be restored. So, yes, uh, investors um, uh, actually ask a lot of questions on the ability of the Mexican uh, airport operators on how they will be able to restore the profitability even in these dire times.
0: So you have a general business-friendly approach for concession agreement structuring, but have you seen any aftershocks as a result of the Mexico City Airport project cancellation?
1: Yes, it affects more directly uh, the overall construction activity in Mexico since uh, actually that cancellation happened what happened before pre-CO- pre-COVID-19? Um, it, we saw a decline, a double-digit decline in cement volumes, to give you an idea. So that means that the overall uh, gross capital formation in Mexico has taken a toll since then, and we were in the middle of a uh, uh, of a recession back in 2019 because precisely of the lack of investment, because of the lack of of of, of clear visibility on, on on what the, the new administration wanted. Um, as you know, infrastructure requires a time horizon of roughly 25, 30 years. And when every time that you change the rules of the game, well, that takes a toll in new investments. So that has happened uh, even before pre-COVID because of the cancellation of the Mexico City Airport of, um, the Mexico City Airport. But and now, we are seeing um, much more doubts in investment, particularly because of the changes in the energy sector as well. So that is taking a a huge impact in overall construction activity in Mexico. Uh, Before COVID hit, actually one of the bright spots that we had was commercial real estate um, that that was going quite well. And that compensated a little bit all the, the, the cuts that we see elsewhere in other uh, construction activity in Mexico. Uh, but now, uh, now that COVID-19 hit, well, that, that will take a toll as well in commercial real estate.
0: As Mexico deals with this uh, recession, are they going to be using uh, new infrastructure projects as a tool to help revitalize construction, the economy in general? Uh, how is their approach uh, compared to some of their regional peers?
1: Great question, Greg. Um, the, for instance, if you take a look at Peru, well, the economy is going to be suffering as well, a uh, double-digit decline in GDP this year. Uh, but actually, the, the the recovery is going to be quite fast, according to their economists, and and that is driven actually by by uh, by by major pushes in infrastructure bills that account for roughly. 11 of gdp so it is a huge bill uh, the peruvian economy is uh, ver- very solid in se- in the sense that it has a very low uh, debt uh, as such so they can afford it and 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 now they have the, the vehicles and the funding coming from from abroad to, for that sort of infrastructure um that is the case as well in colombia N- not as Impressive as the 11% uh, infrastructure build that we are seeing in, in in Peru, but in Colombia we also see uh, a lot of activity that is going to be spearheaded by 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 construction of infrastructure, particularly toll roads. So that's very interesting. And, and unfortunately, here in Mexico we are not seeing uh, much of anything. Um, uh, the, the the last. Um, uh, the, the last figure that I have in my mind relates to roughly less than 1% of GDP, the potential bills that might be fueling the, the economy for the recovery. Having said that, um, over the next three weeks, um, the government announced in Mexico that they might be announcing a new uh, energy-related bill, uh, and that may help a little bit things, but quite uh, 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 at this moment, uh, the overall visibility on those is very limited
0: in my view. Turning to some of the things that you do see uh, as positive stories in the Mexican economy, you've written extensively about uh, industrial and commercial real estate. Can you break that down for us?
1: Well, e-commerce has been one of the most wonderful stories during the, in the, in the pandemic. And and this is actually the case as well in Mexico as well, not only because the overall penetration of e-commerce in Mexico is relatively slow for for Latin American standards, um, not to mention to developed markets, but also because uh, we already see players listed in in Mexico that have a lot of exposure to e-commerce. So you have uh, players that are leasing space for the Amazons and 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 the like. So so yes, that that has been fueling a lot of investments in 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 commercial uh, real estate, in industrial real estate. And the second reason why we are so optimistic about industrial real estate in Mexico is because the structural trends related with reshoring of of light manufacturing uh, production closer to the US where the demand is and make all the value chains more resilient, that was a major structural uh, trend that was actually uh, creating a lot of demand for industrial space in Mexico for light manufacturing. So this pandemic actually has reinforced these effects because all of the sudden, a lot of industries uh, suffer a lot of disruptions in their value chain. So after the pandemic, uh, now we, we're seeing that all the players need to make sure that these uh, supply chains can be much more resilient in any circumstances. And secondly, uh, you have to bear in mind that the, we have the, the the USMCA now into effect, and that is driving more investment from Asian uh, investment investors that are trying to see that as an opportunity to keep their business alive, uh, because they know that uh, the USMCA requires an, a higher content of, of regional production in North America between Canada, US, and Mexico. And that is leaving aside the, the players that were based in, in, in Asia.
0: And what about retail and office? Are they um, struggling in the same way that uh, the sectors are struggling all around the world?
1: Definitely, the hardest hit sector has been the retail sector. Uh, for instance, we have seen, or and, and we are actually projecting a fall in net operating income for, for the players exposed to the retail industry uh, in the 20 to 25% in nominal terms. So, so yes, that, that is a huge blow for, the, for that industry in particular. Uh, and, and this is not that as bad in, in the office space. Yes, it depends because when you discuss these things with a CEO of Cisco, for instance, or anyone else involved in, in the teleworking value chain, they might tell you reasons why the office is dead. Uh, and, and when then you have the other extreme, where, where certain la- landlords believe that nothing will happen and uh, eventually the office will start to be quite packed uh, again. I think that it is some sort of, of the middle. The solution that we see here is that it's definitely we see much more flex work coming into into place the teleworking uh, will be actually has been gaining a lot of of, of share and and that is trend is going to continue but having said that i think that the, the 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 name of the game is going to be flex work so a combination between teleworking and going to the office uh, that is going to be the, the the real trend. And in Mexico, we have seen that the office industry has been much more resilient compared to the retail uh, space. So I think that ultimately it is about asset quality. Have, that means having the right building for the for the new normal. Uh, net, namely, the 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 building has to be. Uh, a good fit to have uh, the flexibility that we might might actually is uh, encourage uh, for, for all landlords to 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 be uh competitive and perhaps as well about the overall well-being of the about the workers for that matter that is what what matters now i believe
0: for investors that are considering the sector can you speak a little bit about the prevalence of U.S. dollar denominated leases? Yes,
1: definitely. Um, It it might be awkward for a foreign investor, but uh, in Mexico, we have U.S. dollar denominated leases. And the reason why we have that is that uh, for the tenants involved in, in that particular building, they might actually be earning dollars as well. They may be in the value change on the export value change for that matter. So um, that means that these tenants, uh, they they can actually afford to pay dollars even if they operate in Mexico because their major market at the end of the day is in the the US. So yes, um, investors can see uh, some industrial real estate companies as an option because they keep uh, having a high share of U.S. dollar denominated leases that helps them to keep their overall cost of capital down as well. Uh, and at the same time, what we have seen, for instance, in one name, like Fibra Apologies, um, that name actually has preserved the overall value of, of, of the stock in, in when measuring dollars. So, So at the end of the day, um, you, might, you might see a, a, a nice um, uh, safe haven in, in these players because the nature of the, uh, of how much money they earn in US dollar denominated leases. Uh, and because at the end of the day, their, their overall underlying business is also growing at the same time. And they pay a lot of uh, interesting dividends as well for the investor.
0: That was Francisco Suarez, Director in Global Research at Scotiabank. You can find more thought-leading content from Scotiabank on our website at gbm.scotiabank.com, and you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM, as well as our LinkedIn Showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website. Thanks for listening.